0: I'm ready, I don't know about you, I'm like already geared up and I'm, I'm ready, yeah I need, a little, I need a little slack with the mic because I'm going to be going all over the place. You, you guys, I haven't spoken for a month, what? well it's like been three weeks, so if, if it feels like ages, it feels like I haven't been up here for the longest time, so I'm super excited and like Nancy, you know, I'm probably going to be walking around a lot and dancing around a lot. Um, like Emery said though, we've been going through a series called Behind the Scenes, Right? We kicked off our series talking about Moses and how Moses lived his life behind the scenes. We then went on to Table Talk, which is kind of our behind the scenes here at church. Talking about how behind the scenes church is done, week in, week out, everything that's done, how you could be a part of that. Then the following week was pretty amazing on Mother's Day. We talked about the women of the Bible. Hey, Am Reading talking about behind the scenes and how they they have just served and impacted generations and continue to do, and all you women are amazing, and you lead and do such beautiful things in our communities, so thank you. Keep it up, though. Last week as well, Joseph brought the word on Elijah. Talked about, was it not, not the power of God, not about it being just around us, but in us, and talked about the behind the scenes of that. Now, behind the scenes, when we first kicked it off, we are talking about kind of like behind the curtains. If you let everyone be back behind those and see you know, how you live your life, what drives you in life, and what helps you to you know, fuel you, make decisions, and do everything that you do throughout the day-to-day. But I realized that behind the scenes isn't always just a physical place. Behind the scenes can actually be an emotional place as well. It could also be a spiritual place and a mental place, our thought life. I know in Christianity, so often we've put our own words around what we label as seasons, like periods of time of these behind the scenes. Sometimes we call them a wilderness season, right? Season where we feel like we're all alone and we're in the wilderness by ourselves. And God, where are you? Or the desert season, we call it as well. It's a desert. It's God. I'm in this position of just like, I need more of you. I don't know what's going on. I just don't see anything for miles and miles. And then we sing about this earlier is even, we label it as the night, the nighttime. Just feels like a season of night and it just keeps going and going. And I'm waiting for dawn to break through and waiting for a new day to come. But the thing is, is that these are all great. They, they all represent behind the scenes. Because it has to do with uh, us being almost like alone. are in this position where it's just us and God. And we have this opportunity to respond. But behind the scenes, all of these, these places, all of these things, where, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, they're all to varying degrees. A lot of times we think of it as just black and white. Oh, you have to really be going through the thick of it, right? to be kind of in a wilderness season or to be in these seasons, right? you got to be really going through tough stuff, but it's not the case, right? It's not always the case. You could be going around and work could be great. Things could be going great, but you still might feel like you're not hearing from God at all. Things all around you in your world, right? Could be on the up and up, but then you wonder at times like, God, where well, you? are supposed to be here, right? You're where you at. Things are going well, so obviously you're doing something, but where are you at in this? So it's all to varying degrees. Confessional for a second. I'm gonna give you a little behind the scenes of me. Growing up, I either wanted to become, when I got older, a football player in the NFL, or professional wrestler. (laughs) Right? Who doesn't want to grow up and be that, right? Come on, come on. Tell me about it. I grew up and see my grandfather, um, English was his second language. And anytime I'd go to visit him, we had this language barrier that we could never really break through, aside from like hi, grunt, make noises, and say hi and like hug each other. But we both loved wrestling. So anytime I'd go to my grandfather's house, he would have wrestling on TV. And the thing is, is like I kind of, even though I was young, I kind of knew that wrestling wasn't so real. Sorry to be a spoiler for any of you, <laughs> but my grandfather—you could not convince him otherwise, right? <laughs> this man, and he had a heart condition, and he would get so mad he'd start like banging on his chair watching wrestling, and I'm like. <laughs> It's so fake. They're not even hitting each other. They're swinging, and they're like three feet from each other. He's like, no, 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 no. He like, it's all riled up, right? He's like shaking his fist. Well, I thought because of this, like, wrestling thing and growing up wanting to be a wrestler, I thought, how cool if we actually look at a piece of scripture where this is actually biblical. That could be a bit, like, that's a bit of a stretch, right? (laughs) But there is a script piece of scripture in the Old Testament that's actually kind of unique. So I just want to jump right into it if we can. It's in Genesis chapter 32. And we'll have the, uh, the scripture on the screens for you if, we, if you don't have your Bible with you, if you're not using your phone. I'm going to be reading out of Genesis 32, 24 through 30. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. Those five words I was telling Cece earlier today, I could probably preach a sermon just on that. So Jacob was left alone. There's something in that, and there's something in that for each one of us. There's these moments where we are going to be left alone, or there's these moments where we actually need to be left alone to see what ensues next and how God can move. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. Told you. Wrestled with him till daybreak. Excuse me. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man, as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Huh? Right? Right? Random, right? Even if you're familiar with the story, what? Jacob, okay, I've heard the name Jacob, and Jacob was alone, but then all of a sudden some guy's wrestling him and then touches his hip and his hip goes out of socket. And then later he names the place that where they wrestled, saying it was, actually Peniel is called, the, the, the meaning of it is face of God. So he's saying that he went face to face with God, so he wrestled God? What? Some of you may have heard this story before, and some of you may have heard this preached a million times over. Similar to me. But the way I've always heard it talked about is that we need to wrestle with God. God is, you know, in this. We need to wrestle with God to see our prayers answered and to see this and that happen. We need to wrestle with God, and we need to cling on. Yeah. Yeah right. Okay. I could see how that could be inspiring. There are some things that we need to be fervent with prayer. We need to not give up with praying and believing that God will move. But this moment, it's a moment of obscurity. It really is. But what's so wild is that this moment that we just read about is one of the largest defining moments in the Old Testament for this man. It's a defining moment that we'd only be able to understand if we look back and understand the story of his life. So what I want to do is I am going to attempt to give you some context here. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me. We're going to try and push through this. There's a lot of information in here, but I don't want you to miss a thing because all of it is so important for the direction that we're going to go with this. And I believe that God's going to give you fresh eyes today to see this scripture and understand it. it's going to mean something new to you that you're going to leave completely inspired today. Does that sound good? Cool. See, because this wrestling match for Jacob was a defining moment where it completely changed the direction that his life was going in. He looked at life differently. He looked at God differently. And I'd say almost most of all, He looked at himself differently, all because of this wrestling match. Now, this kind of begins, I guess, Jacob's story starts off in chapter 25 of Genesis. What I'm going to do is skim through chapters 25 through 27 to give you just really the whole kind of background on him. And what you need to know about Jacob is this wasn't the first wrestling match or altercation that Jacob had been in. See, Jacob was a bit of a scrapper, He was this really determined guy with a chip on his shoulder. He felt like everyone was out to get him and he had to prove himself to everybody. And not just that, but he felt because of this, he had to go and take. He would hustle. He would do whatever he had to do to get what was his, but not even what was his, but to take anything that was in his way and anything he wanted. He had to take hold of his own future, his own like legacy that he wanted to establish. He felt like it was all in his hands. This is something that he needed to grasp onto. Well, a little bit more about Jacob. Jacob is one of two twin boys. His brother's name was Esau. And the story begins when Jacob and his brother Esau were still in their mother, Rebecca's womb. And you know, when women are pregnant and the baby moves so subtly and they're like, oh, come, come quick, come, feel, the baby's moving. You can touch it, right? Oh, I just felt it move. Scripture actually tells us that these two babies jostled in Rebecca's womb. Jostling does not mean like, hey, mom, I'm here. Someone feel me. It is like wrestling, wrestling around and fighting. So this is going on in her womb, and she's kind of wondering, what the heck is going on? But this is where the struggle between the two brothers began. And uh, Culturally, I want you to understand that there's this significance behind, I, I guess what we would call firstborns. There was, for the firstborn male in every family, there was what was called the birthright and the blessing. And what those did is those allowed the firstborn male to receive special treatment. He was favored. He got treated as like the next in line and he always, he got more than everybody else. And he's kind of like the, you know, the golden child of the family. So back to our story. Birthright and the blessing attached. And at the birth, there comes Esau first. Little baby Esau is lifted up but then attached to him is his brother Jacob grabbing onto his heel. So these two that were jostling around and wrestling around, obviously Jacob didn't want to be the second one out because he wanted that birthright. So that's why his name was actually, he was given the name Jacob, which means literally heel grabber, one that holds on by the heel. Poor guy, right? Esau meant Harry. hello, like poor guy. You're going to name your child Harry. Okay, if he's Harry, like, it's one thing, but then don't name him Harry as well. <laughs> like, come on. What is it? Poor guy, what is he going to have, like, to, to live, look forward to? He's going to be made fun of all his life. But it's, it's safe to say, all fun and games aside, this is sibling rivalry on a whole nother level, Right? But the story of Jacob and Esau continues on and the drama doesn't just cease. It actually continues to grow and grow and grow and becomes more dramatic. The tension in their relationship continues to grow as time goes. And see, years later, Jacob actually manipulates and takes advantage of his brother Esau and he manages to obtain Esau's birthright, takes it from him. He knew what he was doing. Tension continues to grow. Obviously, Esau was bitter and grew upset with him. And the tension goes and goes and goes. And many years past that, found themselves in a similar situation. But this time, it was actually Jacob and his father, Isaac. Isaac was older and elderly. His eyesight was fleeting. And Jacob went to him and lied to his own father, told him that he was Esau And had his father give him Esau's blessing and pray over him. So obviously this takes place. Esau's going to be upset. This is twice. Twice that you did this to me. You've deceived me, it actually says in scripture, which is actually where Jacob's name comes from again, a deeper meaning, deceiver. So he wasn't just a heel grabber, he was a deceiver, Heel grabber is simply an idiom, like like an expression of deceiver in the Hebrew language. So he deceived his brother, and his brother is so enraged that he wants to kill him. So what did Jacob do? He got the heck out of there. Jacob got out as quickly as possible, and he ran from his brother. He ran from his family. He ran from all the decisions that he'd made. And so he's on this journey of life and he's on his way you know, out. And he's on this journey by himself and he, it's nighttime, he comes to a tree and he sets his stuff down and he's gonna go to bed and then he has this radical encounter with God while he's by himself at night. God tells him, I'm the God of your father, Isaac. I'm the God of your grandfather, Abraham. I wanna bless your people still. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I'm still going to do this, but I'm actually going to do it through you. Jacob's like, all right, that sounds good to me. Usually have to work a little harder for this stuff, but okay. So he does it, walks away. And of course, like in a meeting like that, when you have an encounter with God like that, you would think something's going to shift, right? It doesn't. Unfortunately, it does not. And this is in chapter 28. But then Jacob takes it upon himself, see. That blessing that God talked about, he took it upon himself to make this happen, just like he did in everything else in life. It's like, I'll see that this happens. I just know I need to take mine. I need to take what is mine, and I will make that happen. He'd fight to get that blessing. He'd fight to see it actually outworked. Everything that God told him, he was going to fight to make it happen. Fast forward to Chapter 31 things really kind of heat up, for lack of better terms. Things get crazy, and he finds himself in a situation that he needs to get out of there once again. So ironically, in this moment where he needs to leave, he's in this bind, God speaks to him. He says, Jacob, you need to get out of here, but I want you to go back to where your family lives. Go back to where your family's from, but Jacob, hear this, I will be with you. He promises Jacob right then, I will be with you. So he gathers, Jacob gathers all of his family, all of his possessions, and you got to know by now, this is 20 years later. So he has a lot of livestock, he has a lot of people in his family, loads and loads of sons, gathers everybody, and he starts on this journey, but he doesn't realize how difficult this journey is going to be. Because, on the way to that blessing or going back to where God told him to go to be with his family, Jacob was going to have to face his greatest fear, his brother Esau. See, so get on his way to get back to that land. He was going to have to pass through this area where Esau and his family resided. So what does he do? He sends his assistants ahead of him, bring as many gifts as possible butter him up before I get there. It's been a long time. Maybe he forgot. But he like brings in waves of assistance, right? Go, 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 go. People start going up to him and bringing gifts and they're bringing more gifts and then finally comes to his family and he gets his entire family. He says, okay, I want you to cross this river. And I'm thinking because I'm not with you right now, maybe I'll have mercy on you. Maybe he won't touch you because I won't be there. And so Jacob stays on the bank of the river. Little did he realize, I believe, that Jacob would have to face his past in order to get to his future and step into that. So on this riverbank is where we reside, and this is where we took off at verse 24, where Jacob was left alone. You all still with me? We good? We good. Is it getting warm? I'm getting warm already. I'm like burning up. So like I said earlier, Jacob was left alone, quite significant. This is exactly where God wanted him to be, so God can meet him once again. This is the eve before he sees his brother, one of his greatest fears, his brother who wants to kill him. So the night before, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder if Jacob actually thought about 20 years earlier when he was by himself in a similar place by this riverbank where the God of heaven and earth appeared to him and told him that he'd be with him and he was going to bless him. I wonder if he set everyone aside and had everyone go ahead of him not to get mercy from anybody but maybe a bit selfishly to say like, God, I need to connect with you. Where are you? Maybe it was just that he planned the evening to be such so he could just process. Think about what was going to happen tomorrow. How is he going to navigate through this? Think of an escape plan. Maybe even rest. But we all know that it turned out to be the exact opposite after reading that, right? So Jacob had no clue who he was wrestling with. At the beginning of this, all Jacob felt was a hand and a man starts wrestling him. Imagine what would be going through his mind. Imagine what would be going through your mind. You're in the wilderness by yourself, pitch black outside, and someone grabs you and starts wrestling. A little more context, Jacob could be like, this is a bandit. Maybe this is one of Esau's men coming to attack me in the night. Maybe this is my brother himself and this is the time he's going to try and kill me. So Jacob wrestles and we see how determined he is because he wrestles and he wrestles. <clears throat> is it determination or is it just stubbornness? He continues to wrestle. Scripture says until daybreak. Hello. If you're with me for a second. He wrestled until daybreak? Putting this into context for me, I love watching sports. A UFC, like a championship fight, is five rounds, right? Five rounds, five minute rounds. 25 minutes. If you've ever seen the guys fight for five rounds for all time, and it's a decision, they are exhausted at the end of it. Completely run down, with no energy left. Sometimes they can't even stand at the end of it. Jacob wrestled all night long. All night. So much so till daybreak. And then the man he's wrestling doesn't say that he hits him or puts him in some move where he just snaps his hip, no. Literally the word that's used here is touch and in the Hebrew it's like this gentle, gentle touch, just like this. And in that moment, his hip is dislocated. That is brutal. All by a simple touch. But why, right? Why the hip? What is the significance of this? Why? Like why? You know, and some people say, well, this is the largest muscle in the body. I don't know, Christine, you'd be able to tell me. Like, and they say that, and they say, you know, it's you know, a way to hinder somebody. Blow. Everyone tries to come up with their, their reasoning on why a hip, right? Why his hip? But why not just simplify it for a moment? Why his hip? With his hip being dislocated, Jacob can no longer run from his fear. With his hip dislocated, Jacob does not have an escape route planned to hobble off if, if Esau comes over and tries to take him, right? Something more. See, his hip in so many ways signified his self-dependence and his self-reliance in a moment it was taken away. He could no longer rely on his self depend on himself as he did for all these years to take what was his and to take everybody else's, right? That was taken away from him in that moment. Now, he had only God to rely on. So the wrestling match ensues, and in verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Again, random. Knowing what we know now, this is God wrestling him, Right? Some say that it's the incarnate Christ, that it was Jesus before he came to earth, which would have been referred to as a Christophany. For those of you that are into theology and bigger words and stuff like that, a Christophany, which is an early visit from the pre-incarnate Christ, which we see multiple times throughout the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord came up to people and spoke to people. And a lot of times that could be referring to a Christophany, Jesus actually showing up before he was on earth. So... Side note, that one's free. <laughs> so the man asked him, what is your name? Why would God, the God, the creator of heaven and earth, have to ask Jacob his name? It's a lesson. What's that? It's a lesson? It's a lesson? Oh. Might be on to something. Because God knows his name, right? Why would you need or even ask this guy his name when you're God? See, I think God wanted him to actually acknowledge his name and his heart condition. He wanted him to say, I'm Jacob. I'm the supplanter. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the supplanter. I'm the one that takes people's positions with force. I force my way through. I'm the deceiver. God wanted him to admit that because let me go back into history. The first time that he received a blessing was from his father, which was for his brother. But what did he do? He didn't admit to his name. He lied and told his father that he was Esau. So this time, this blessing around, God wants him to reveal in front of him and God who he truly is. So he says, I'm Jacob. It says almost as if he's, if he's saying, My name is Jacob, and I am who they say I am. That's me. I am the deceiver. I take advantage of people, I get my way. I'm the heel grabber. And I think that with that, it was probably liberating to a decree, decree excuse me, because all of a sudden, Jacob is. Saying this, and he realizes that he has this tremendous need for God that he might have not realized before. See, Jacob thought that his brother and his circumstances, because he was dealt a card, you know, the pretty rough cards throughout life, he always thought that those were like the obstacles that he had to continuously fight against in life. But the obstacle was actually himself. His greatest obstacle was himself. His pride, his own will, his own determination was what you think would be something positive, his determination and will, but it was his greatest obstacle and hindrance. This is where I wanna try and shift your perspective and get you to look at this differently. He's wrestling God, and that's how we read it. But like, God would've beat him, come on, like, hello, it's God. God's like appeasing him. Think of this for a moment if you're a visual person. Picture this struggle going on. And I feel like in so many ways, God was told, telling me the past few weeks as I've been reading through this, he's like, it didn't go down like that. I picture God now holding Jacob and Jacob fighting. Struggling like we do when God tries to hold us and embrace us. God simply trying to say... I accept you the way you are. I love you how you are. And I can see God telling Jacob in this very moment, it's okay. You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to fight anymore. Jacob is struggling because this has been over 70 years of his life, fighting for everything that he needed, everything that was his. He had to constantly fight. No one was going to give it to him. And he's fighting and God just holding, holding on as a loving father. You don't have to do this. You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to take, Jacob, because I've already given. You don't have to fight anymore. In verse 28, scripture tells us this is the man tells him, You're no longer Jacob, you are Israel, you're a nation. In that moment, I could just picture, it's like God telling him, Jacob, you are not who they say you are. You are not who they say you are. You are who I say you are. You're no longer Jacob. You're no longer Jacob the supplanter, right? You're no longer the one that takes his place and takes others' places and uses force. You're no longer a heel grabber. You're no longer a deceiver, you're Israel, a great nation, and scripture tells us it struggles with God is what, what you know Israel meant, but that's, not, that's just like such a small portion of it. Because if you look at the etymology of this, this actual word in Hebrew, that's like some linguists trying to come up with a reasoning like how we could translate Hebrew. Wrestle with God. But if you actually dig deeper, on the root words of the, the actual word used in this scripture, you're going to find something else. You're going to find that the, the meaning right here of Israel is triumphant with God, is God's perseverer, is he who prevails with God, God's prince. In this very moment and this struggle, Jacob went from being a cheat to God's champion. Verse 29 says, then he blessed him there. Then he blessed him there. There's something significant with that place. There's something significant with that place for the Bible to say, then he blessed him there. It could have just said, then he blessed him. But then he blessed him there, and I really believe that it was because it was a place of his hurt, right? And his brokenness was the same place of his blessing. So the same place of his hurt and his brokenness was the same place where his blessing was. And I think the same is so for so many of us. We have to face our fears at time in order to experience healing. We need to face our fears to experience growth. Sometimes we need to allow God to hold us as we fight and squirm about because we have our goals and we have everything we want to achieve in life till we could actually just slow down and be still. And God could tell you, you're no longer who you think you are. You're who I say you are. Just like he told Jacob in that very moment, you're the prince of God. The actual root word of this was Sarai, which is a feminine for like Sarah, which is princess. You're the prince, you're the princesses of God. That's who you are. Not what life has told you you are. Not what people have spoken over you. That's not who you are. You are the prince and princesses of the most high God. That's your identity. That's exactly who you are. In this story, we could see, and for so many of us in the behind the scenes where this stuff happens, where it's just us and God, and we could struggle with these insecurities and our failures and our doubts and all of this other stuff, and God will just not let go of us. He's so loving. He just holds on. But in this place, our greatest victories could literally come out of the ashes of our greatest defeat, as they did for Jacob. In our behind the scenes, there's literally, there's no ceiling on what God can and will accomplish as we step into those moments. You know, the desert and the wilderness, those terms in the night season, whatever you want to call it, they all have negative connotations, right? For so many years, so many of us have been taught that, oh, you're in a wilderness or desert season it's because you screwed up. It's because of those stupid decisions that you made, right? You're in the wilderness because of that. It has to be. It's all because it's your fault. Because God is good. He wouldn't put you there, right? God is good. But I believe God wants to shift our perspective on how we look at those seasons and those places. I want to put up a piece of scripture real quick in Hosea chapter two, verse 14. I want you to look at this with me. I spoke about Hosea a few weeks back, probably a month ago or so. This is God himself speaking through the prophet, or Hosea, excuse me, to his people of Israel. He says, therefore, I'm now going to allure her, her being Israel. I'm now going to allure her, I will lead her, what does it say, into the what? Wilderness. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So many of us think that in the wilderness, God is rebuking us and telling us what we've done wrong or where we're screwing up and what we need to do, what we need to change. But if we look at scripture, we see that God's saying, ah, the wilderness was never meant for that. Yeah, you saw the Israelites wander around in the wilderness for a long time, but they were working things out. Did you see how they came out? Did you see how much stronger they were and unified they were when they came out? The wilderness is a place where distractions are limited, where we could hear from the God who wants to allure us and woo us and bring us in so he could spend time with us. That's what the wilderness is. Same goes for Jacob in this story. The wilderness was not a place of failure. The wilderness was a place of transformation and change. It was a place of progression. It was a place of revelation in this new mindset, this new heart stance. Everything was done in this place of wilderness. You know, look at the story as a whole. It's easy to look and say, I think, you know, that whole time that he was in there and the years that he had to deal with this, God was preparing the blessing for him. Not the case. God was preparing Jacob for the blessing. And the same goes for us, I believe. So often we think, well, God's preparing my blessing for me. Actually, fam, you got it twisted. You got to flip that around. He's preparing you for the blessing because can you handle that blessing right now where you're at? Maybe we're not in the place where we need to be to receive that and to understand and to walk in all that he's called us to be. Maybe there's areas of growth and improvement still for us. Maybe our capacity to love love, can still grow and grow and grow. I'm gonna invite the worship team on up. Back to Genesis chapter 32. Verse 30, said, so Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Very next verse, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And the sun rose on this place. On a night after hours of struggle and fear, the sun rose as he walked. Not completely unbruised, not unbattered. He had a mark from the struggle. The struggle of his pride and not wanting to give up. Not wanting to allow God to be God, but he walked away. The imagery in this to me just blows me away. Because I picture this man hobbling away As the sun rises after an evening of nothing about rest in this evening, he's struggling for his life initially and then his hip is touched and he realizes this is not any ordinary man that I'm messing around with. This is God himself. And then God changes his name in front of his face, asks him, who are you? And it's basically like Jacob saying, I'm a failure, God. I don't know about you, but I've done the same thing before. God, I don't measure up for you. I'm not good enough right now. God, maybe in A few months, maybe in a year or two years, maybe I'll be there, but I'm not good enough. And God says, no, no, no. You're my prince, you're my princess. He changes his name, and as the sun rises, there's a new day. There's a new dawn. Jacob has a new lease on life. His life has completely been changed. An evening of struggle into a new day of freedom. Jacob's 12 sons later down the road become the 12 tribes of Israel, which become later the Israelites, God's chosen people. So from the line of Jacob, King David, King David came. I'm sure a lot of you know where I'm going with this because from the line of David, we know who is from the line of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Behind the scenes is not just a place to learn. Behind the scenes for all of us is a place of redemption. Our stories can be redeemed in these moments behind the scenes. Not only can we grow and not only will we progress, but our stories are redeemed by God himself. A story that he is writing with us. And like we see with Jacob, all of a sudden when he realized what was going on, things changed. And he walked away under that sunrise knowing that it was a new day. I don't know where you're at today. For many of you, you've been following Jesus for as long as you can remember. For some of us, this is still new or it's something that you're just in question about. Maybe this is still new and you're like, you know what, I'm just intrigued by Jesus and this relationship I hear about. Maybe you were in a relationship with God and things used to be great and then maybe life happened when it does, because it does. We all know that. And when life happened, you maybe drew a little farther and further away from God and your relationship with God looks way different and it's not much maybe even of a relationship anymore. Friends, Today's your day today is your day to experience redemption like Jacob did maybe some of you for the very first time you're like you know what I'm ready today's the day I want to make a stand I want to do this life with you God from this point forward I want to do this life with you today's the day for you to come home come back home and be embraced and be accepted by God Himself. Come and be a part of the family of God and know what it's to do, what it is to do life with Jesus Christ. Just want to ask you maybe if we could start to sing a song, but while the worship team starts to sing, why don't you just sit and receive for a moment? Sit and receive and have a moment with God.